Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Roz Chast's first New Yorker cartoon was published in 1978. She has since published more than 1,000. She's the author of the graphic memoirs Going Into Town and Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? Her cartoon collections include The Party After You Left and Theories of Everything. Her latest book is called I Must Be Dreaming. Humans have probably been using some of our waking hours to think about what our brains are doing during our sleeping hours since the dawn of humanity. But only Roz Chast could have written this book. It is hilarious, weird, poignant, anxiety-ridden, and thought-provoking, sometimes all at once. I talked to Roz Chast in front of an audience at the 2023 Portland Book Festival. Early on in the book, you write, the fact that dreams exist at all is kind of miraculous. What's the miracle for you? Well, the miracle for me is that it is such a different state of consciousness from our waking consciousness. And I don't really, uh, even though I, you know, in putting this book together, I've read a lot of theories about why we dream. Um, I, th- I think the jury is still out. I don't think anybody fully knows why when we sleep, we don't, you know, the screen doesn't just go black. Um, and then we wake up and we're back into this state of consciousness, what that state really is. Um, and it's kind of like, I mean, you're definitely yourself, you know, and we all are the sort of center person in our dreams, but it's very different at the same time. And nobody really knows what, why or what it is. In one of your dreams... Uh, an interior decorator says to you, cushions are the juice of the house. Yes. A sentence you, and you've, you've latched onto that, right? That's, that's just a part of your world now? Oh, yes. I, it's, it's uh, well, well, my favorite thing in a dream is when an entire phrase sort of emerges. It's kind of like, I don't know if um, any of you ever saw the Freddy Krueger movies. Um, and... Uh, One of the scariest things in that movie to me, or most intriguing, scary in a good way, was when uh, this girl has this dream and he's chasing her and she grabs his hat and she wakes up and she's still holding his hat. It's like the, the thing has kind of passed from the dream world into the real world. And for me, when an entire phrase um, emerges, like, you know, cushions are the juice of the house. It's like, who got it, you know? <laughs> do, you, do you remember having conscious thoughts that were anything similar to that? Had you thought about the juice of cushions before that you remember? No, I don't really think about interior decorating all that much. And I, and in, I don't really think that much about, um, about cushions. Um, <laughs> although the hotel that I'm staying in right now made me laugh. There was such an arrangement of pillows on the bed, and it started out with, like, some big ones in the back. Then there were, like, like two very big cushions. I hope this isn't too boring. Then there were, like, three, like, slightly smaller cushions. Then there were, like, four slightly... It was like the cushions kind of moved up until it ended with one tiny cushion, and it was just this, like nonsensical. I had to take them all off the bed, of course, because there were so many cushions you couldn't even get on the bed. It was really weird. We could stop this interview right now because I feel like I've accomplished everything I want in life. I, yeah. yeah. I am mystified and, and made so angry by those cushions. Yes. I, I am too. I am too. I wanted to like complain, but like, who do you complain to? Not, just... I mean, not to, to only make this about cushions, but, but obviously the, no, they're not usable. And so the only thing you can do is put them on the ground. Yes, and you put them on the ground. And you know that everybody else did that, and so... Yes, they're completely, they're like filth cushions. They're just... I 1,000% agree. To go back to some things in the book. It's big cushions. One of the things that I I struggled with as, as as I was reading the book is, so there's this 
attention, right, that, that you're talking about, that, that dreams, they seem to come from, obviously they come from us. Yes. But it doesn't feel like that. You hadn't had that particular thought before, and there's all kinds of weird things that, that, we, that we would not have devised ourselves consciously. Right. So there's that. But then when I read this book, and it may partly have been because you illustrated it, and I'm so used to your style, but for almost every dream in the book, I think, ah, that's Ra's chast. I see a, a sort of a, a Ra's chastness in them. And I'm wondering if you do too, if now, in retrospect, you can say, yeah, that's me, for, for all these things that you didn't consciously devise. Um, oh, I think that we are all, uh, you know, we are, our dreams are us. You know, your dreams are going to be yours. Everybody here, your dreams are going to come from you. Uh, so, yeah, they're just intrinsically, intrinsically ourselves. But uh, I think the part of the other mystery is that, A, why am I always so surprised? Uh, you know, if I'm thinking them up, then why am I surprised? And B, like... Why would I like make up like a terrible dream that like grosses me out? Like last night I had a feather growing out of my back and it was like I had to sort of like pull the feather out and it sort of hurt and it was like gross and like then there was like another feather on the other side of it and I had to call the doctor and it was like I couldn't and and like why would I why? Why am I dreaming this? You know? It's like if if I am making up my own dream, I want to mean I'm like I'm winning the lottery and then it's it's like I'm in a bakery and everything's great. And no, I have a feather growing out of my back. You know, you Got have um, you have a dream where you read an article uh, about a made-up person who is described. I don't even know how to pronounce this word. Bucephalic. Oh yes, bucephalic. Um, yeah, a word I, I didn't know. And you write you didn't know it. Right. But then you googled it after you woke up because you remembered. Yes. Reading the thing in the dream. And it turns out it's it's not it sounds like it's going to be very dirty. It it's it means uh, having a shape like a bull's head. Yes, yes. How do you explain that? I, no idea, no idea at all. Because I think there was some I don't know whether it's Greek or Roman Bucephalus, and he had like a bull's head. It was like some god. And so so this person in the dream, and I remember I woke up and it was a bucephalic head, and it was like. I, have, I, I don't know. There is a term that um, Freud coined called day residue, uh, where these things that uh, you might not be conscious that are going into your brain, like it's possible that at some point I had, you know, I must have, I had seen that word and it, it stuck in my head. Uh, it's a, I mean, the beautiful aspect of that is it's a reminder that there's more up there that's theoretically accessible than, yeah. we're, than we're normally aware of. Yeah, that's probably true. Although it's, it's sometimes kind of a, feels like, I was checking the storage on my MacBook Air yesterday, <laughs> and it's like, okay, this much is photos, this much is documents, and, and then it's like this much system data. And it's like, how do I delete some of that? But you, you can't, so. But, uh, <laughs> right, I mean, that system data, I guess, for our brains is just what, what lets us exist. Yes, I think that's what, you know, at least that's what um, Apple wants you to think. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, right, sometimes it does feel like, you know, storage is full. <laughs> right, so it, you're talking about a, a cons, like a neurological conspiracy theory. Yeah, 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 pretty much, along with the pillows, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's... Can you describe some of your recurring dreams? Oh, sure, um, I, I think there's, a lot of recurring dreams that I have that uh, a lot of people have. Um, uh, tooth dreams are very, very common. Um, tooth loss dreams. I have the classic dream of being back in high school and I don't know my schedule and um, I have to go to the office and then I can't find the office. And then it's like this big, big, big kind of anxious like mess. And then at some point in the dream, inevitably, or very often, I think, wait a minute, I graduated from high school a long time ago. <laughs> this blah, blah, blah. And you would think that that would be the kind of epiphany that I would never have this dream again, but you'd be wrong, because I, I, ha I do have that dream frequently, and I don't know why. There's that. There's also this classic dream that I don't know if it happens in other cities than New York, but like you're in your apartment, which is tiny and expensive, 
but then suddenly you open a door and there's like more rooms. <laughs> and it's really exciting. Or I, I often have this dream that Manhattan has like a neighborhood I did not know about. And it usually involves like you're not even like like something nonsensical, like there's a beach in Midtown. Um, you know, or I had one, I, I remember one, I can still sort of picture it, where there were like tons of windmills and like these rolling hills and, you know, and it was just like the Upper West Side someplace, you know. To, to me, um, one of the, the, the Ross Chast giveaways for the, the there's a beach in Manhattan, yeah. is that so you say that there's coral colored sand and it's lovely. There are shells here and there. Some of the shells are chipped. Yes. And it yes, was that, they were. it's like a, a comedian adding like a smart tag to a joke, but your brain, your dreaming brain did it. That, yeah. I mean, that's what makes the dream funny. Yes, the little chipped. The, yeah. Yeah, it was like, well, these are really pretty, but mm, they're kind of chipped. Yeah. Know? Yeah. You're, uh, or your brain won't let. The, the dream beach yeah. be, be perfect. No, it, that would not be <laughs> something that I would dream. No, there's something wrong. You mentioned um, teeth falling out, which people have, have been writing about having dreamt for yeah. a long time, and a lot of theories yeah. about what that means. Yeah. Um, but dentist dreams I hear less about. And you've had a lot of them. Just in this book, there are like three or four dentistries, <laughs> all of which are fantastic. Do you yes. have a favorite of them? The one with Kissinger. Please, can we was, hear that one? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, in the dream, uh, I was going in to see the dentist, and uh, Kissinger was walking out. And he was looking at his Blackberry, I remember. And he looked kind of worried. And when I went in to see the dentist, the dentist was kind of sad, and he said... I don't think I'm going to be able to work on you today because my hands are still too sore from the stress of working on Kissinger. <laughs> and then he held up his hands and like they looked kind of like all like red and kind of raw. Um, <laughs> and then there were like other aspects, but that was like a very fun, interesting part of that dream. <laughs> it was like, I don't know. I don't think about Kissinger. Why was he in my dream? I have no idea. I don't like him. I don't think about him. Um, you said you also don't think that much about Danny DeVito, but oh. he was in one of your dreams. A super lovely one. Yes, yes. Well, I have to tell you about that dream because it was really wonderful. I had this dream that I included in the book that, um, and I love his acting. I think he's the greatest. Uh, he's really funny. I love It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I've loved him um, for, you know, decades. I just think he's really, you know, charming and hilarious and just fun to watch. And uh, so I had this dream, but I don't generally think about him that much. So I had this dream that um, he was lying on my lap with his head in my lap and like looking up at me with like adoration. And I was thinking in the dream, like, I'm not in love with him, but it's nice to be adored. So maybe this will work out. Um, but this crazy thing happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've been, you know, doing some interviews for this book. So I was in New York and I was doing an interview for uh, NYC and the person who was on right before me was Nanny DeVito. And, and he was with a group of people and I was with a person from my publisher and somehow, I don't remember who showed it to him, but they showed him the page in my book where I, where I had dreamed about him and he really liked it. And then he hugged me and we were like hugging and it was like, like I can't, this is the weirdest thing ever. And, and then he signed it, he signed it, oh so nice. Love Danny DeVito. So it was like this dream. And I, I, when I do my slideshow, I show that page with his like scrawled kind of thing on it because it was just like a, a dream that, a life that imitated a dream. It was really funny. One of so many chapters in the book that I love is I, I think, do you call it boring dreams? Or oh, every day. The, every day, okay. Yeah, yeah. But so instead of sort of truly fantastical, weird things, which are possible because we can make anything happen. Yes, yes. You have a bunch where very little happens. Yes. In one of them, so you're shopping for shoes and, and you need insoles, they don't have them, you, bet, you get them anyway. My favorite part is that the credit card is shaped slightly differently. It's not a rectangle, it's a square. End of dream. 
Yeah, well, it has, and it has a wheat field on it. Oh, I missed the wheat. Yeah. Oh, the picture of the credit card is a wheat field. Yes, I, I that's, missed that. Yes, it's a square credit card, and it has a wheat field on it. And so, okay, this is a good chance to talk about how you remember these things. I mean, that is a tiny detail. We're not oh. just talking about the shape of a credit card, but the the logo on it. <laughs> so, how? What's your process for remembering dreams? Um, I have a, a notepad by my bed and I do find that like if I don't jot stuff down like immediately dreams are they're just notoriously ephemeral they just kind of go Woo! Um, but sometimes what's what's or I tell them to my husband or something um, but you have to try to grab them right away or at least for me they uh, completely just disappear uh, um, how long have you had a kind of uh, illustrative dream journal? Uh, well, I have gone in and out of it. Um, uh, I started actually doing this kind of illustrative uh, dream diary, I think it was about 2019, because um, I was working on another book, and I was running into troubles with it and not really that into it. And one of the things I was doing while sort of stalling, not uh, working on the book I was supposed to be working on, <laughs> was uh, drawing up dreams. And the first one that I did, I remember, was the, uh, my mother, the dream about um, O.J. Simpson's glove. Um, uh, and uh, it was, uh, and, and this guy named Bissell, and the only thing I could think of with Bissell is that there's a drugstore in my town, Bissell's Drugs, but this was not, had nothing to do with that. It was just a guy named Bissell who had come into possession of O.J. Simpson's glove and wanted to rent it out for parties. <laughs> and, um, and my mother was, like, upset about this, and she said the glove should be in a safety deposit box. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just completely nonsensical. And, and I thought this was so funny that... I, okay, I'm going to draw this dream up and I'm going to post it to Instagram because I have I, it's the only social media thing I do because it's, it's visual and I, and I like it. So, um, And then I got into drawing up, kind of cartoonifying the dreams a little bit. You know, I'm not going to illustrate every little thing that happened in the dream. I'm going to, like, take the dream and, you know, put, you know, ed edit it a little bit, shape it a little bit, but not... Make anything up, just kind of put make it into a cartoon. And I, I got call them fillets of fillets. Dream. Yes, yeah, they're the best parts. Yes, yeah. um, and then there's a little sprig of parsley on the top to make you, you know, that you charge an extra like five dollars for that. Um, but uh, that I got really into doing that. So um, at, at some point, I did kind of go to my editor and I said. Thinking, you know, maybe I could like get out of doing that book I don't really want to do, and like I really wa would rather do this because I have always been interested since I was a kid in in dreams. And when I was a teenager, I kept a very, you know, I still have them these dream diaries, and boy, my memory was a lot better then. I mean, it was just mm. pages and pages and pages. Okay. One thing I've heard, I've never had the the diligence to to have a dream journal or diary, but I've heard that the process of doing it. So it builds upon itself, and you get better. The, the yes. memory dream muscle actually gets stronger. Has, has that been yes. the case for you? absolutely true. Yeah, the more, you get into a habit of it. Um, I mean, uh, people, I've, uh, sometimes people say, I don't dream, and I think that's just bullshit. You, do, you know, you, you completely dream, but like, if you don't think about them, if you're not in the habit of uh, remembering your dream, um, it'll just disappear. Why do you think they disappear? What's your theory for why they're so evanescent? Uh, I think it might be uh, something that's uh, built in for survival, that probably um, if your dreams uh, were too much a part of your daily life, you know, if you like were switching in and out of that too much, maybe, I don't know, the old saber-toothed tiger idea, that we're probably, it's probably better that, like, you know, maybe when you first wake up, if you think about your dreams, fine, but then when you have to fight off the saber-toothed tiger, it's maybe oh, better to... Oh, so it, it kind of 
the preservation is sticking with the real world. Probably. Not getting lost in the dream world. Yeah, yeah, probably. Huh. I don't know. I mean, that's just the thought. I've always been frustrated by, by the way they just blow away because it, yeah. it feels unfair. Um, but but I, I guess the flip side is to think about it as like a beautiful sandcastle before the tide comes in. That, yeah. that it's you had this experience, maybe you remember it, maybe you don't, but you but it it's gone and that's the the value is actually that it might just disappear. Yes, yes. I mean, there's so many different ways to think about them. I mean, there were cultures that thought that the dreams were predictive, uh, that you could um, read what was going to happen in the future from what was happening in your dreams. Uh, there are dream. There are people who uh, cultures that believe that uh, it was actually it had something to do with healing your soul. Um, there, of course, you know Freud believed that like if you were you know you had fears or you know you're neurotic about things that you could work with your dreams and maybe you know solve some you know personal uh, life problems through that, you know, get insights into your own personal psychology. Uh, Jung, um, of course, believed that they were a way to connect with the collective unconscious. Um, so of those two, those big 20th century Western dudes, um, which side are you more on? C- collective unconscious or sort of inner workings in and out? Uh, I would go with Jung. Why? Because um, I do think that uh, that there's more than just, you know, our, this gets into like, it's a little bit woo-woo for like 10 o'clock in the morning, but... Um, uh, Imagine I, it's 10 p.m. Oh, <laughs> uh, I do think that there's more to consciousness than just like our own individual, you know, sort of separate cells. I think there is some sort of collective uh, unconscious. Is, is there a connection for you between... Dreaming and spirituality. Um, the word spirituality actually gives me the complete heebie-jeebies, but um, I do know sort of what you're talking about. And I, and aside from my own personal heebie-jeebies from that, um, well, is there a word you like more? No. Okay. No. <laughs> um, okay. I don't so, know what you know. Again, yeah. it gets into that stuff that's like very hard to talk about without sounding like completely. Shitty. I know that's we're on the radio and stuff like that. No, we're, but, um, we're, we're on the radio in the future. Oh, okay. You can just yeah. like call it like malarkey. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I do think that yeah. dreams connect to um, some part that is, you know, I mean, Freud, he, he uh, hated what, you know, when he called it the, the um, swamp of mysticism. Uh, that Jung was getting more pull, pulled towards. You, you say know? that was a, a it was a, a specific it, dig towards yes, Jung. Yes, it was a real dig. It really that was what caused their sort of schism. You mm. know, I mean, it, Jung was a protege of Freud uh, at, until that point. Um, but I, I think that dreams are probably the closest way, without drugs, that we connect to something that's beyond just our. Um, personal, you know, way of looking at our egos. That's Roz Chast talking about her book, I Must Be Dreaming. We'll have a lot more with her, including the issue of hallucinogens, after a short break. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. If you're just tuning in, we're listening today to my conversation with the legendary New Yorker cartoonist Roz Chast. She's the author of many award-winning books. Her latest is called I Must Be Dreaming. We talked in front of an audience at the 2023 Portland Book Festival. You write about something called Madame Fufu's Lucky Number Dream Book, which... It's real. Well, I mean, yeah. I Googled it because yes. I, I thought, well, this is a great Roz Chast invention. It is completely real. Yeah. Madame Fufu's Lucky Number Dream Book. It can be purchased uh, as of last night for $3 plus $10 shipping and handling. Yes. Um, did, did you buy it? Uh, I did. I did. Can yeah. you describe it? Oh, it's great. It's very, very specific uh, things, but it's it's kind of like um, if you dream about very like green peppers, then you should bet on these numbers. I have that um, number. I wrote if, that one. Up. Yeah. Green pepper is four eighteen. Green pepper is four eighteen. But red pepper is something else. Red pepper is seven. I only wrote 
four of them down, but you guys, so yeah, red pepper is 763. Eating prunes, yeah. again, so if you dream of eating prunes, yeah. then the number, the lucky number for you, which means you should then use it for yes, a lottery, yes. yeah. that's 286. Okay, okay. I have one more if, if yeah. people want it. Yeah. Uh, you probably can guess this one, 511. No. <laughs> Stinky feet. Stinky feet, yeah. So how, how would this have been used? Uh, Do you think it really was? Uh, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I was just kind of... Uh, I, I liked it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> There's another, you have a whole chapter that's about dream theorizing. Yes. And one of them is the screensaver theory. What's, yes. What's that? Oh, the, uh, the screensaver is just that it kind of um, keeps your brain sort of going so that it doesn't like shut off. Um, because when you're sleeping, I guess, I don't know. I mean, it's just basically... Uh, it's what your screensaver used to do for your computer, where it would keep things kind of running while it did its little internal uh, housekeeping or whatever. Um, there's also, um, I forget the guy's name, but there's a Finnish neuroscientist who has yes. an evolutionary idea, which I, I don't like at all. Is he the one that was like re primitive, like the, uh, in the survival instinct rehearsal? So basically, re in your dream, you rehearsal rehearsing for a bad situation, so that when it when you encounter it, uh, you are more able to uh, to deal with it. Exactly, and it's not like most of us are dreaming regularly of saber-toothed tigers chasing us. The, right. the dreams are so much weirder that it's hard to see how they would right. confer an like, advantage. What does the Bissell glove thing have anything to do with my survival? Or like this like wheat field credit card. I mean, buying bed slippers. It's like nonsense. It's, so I, the, the, that kind of like relentless, relentless scientific reason for dreaming, I think it might be part of it. Uh, I think that all of these things are true uh, to some extent, but there's not just one reason. Um, but I think some people like to think that there's one reason that makes them feel better if they can say, nope, that's the reason, and all the rest of it is malarkey. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Do you mind yeah. if we just cut you saying malarkey and use instead of a beep from now yeah. on? Oh, when someone says a swear word, we'll just have you saying malarkey. I could just, malarkey, yeah. Thank you. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, <laughs> can you describe the, the, the temples that ancient Greeks set up for dream healing? Yes, yes, these were called Asclepions, and uh, they were these special temples where, because they believed that in dreams... Um, that they would, there would be clues within dreams to help you with your life, uh, physical problems, mental problems, emotional, financial, and uh, it, it was either the dreams were done by the person who wanted the answers, or you could hire a proxy, and you would go to these temples, and there were all these rituals. You didn't just go in and like, well, like this is my hotel room, I'm going to sleep. Um, you know, throw the pillows off the bed and. Um, no, there was fasting, and then you drink these things, and then a uh, hot bath and a cold bath, and there were all these rituals, and then you would go to sleep, and then the dreams would be interpreted, and uh, answers to the person's problems would be, you know, found within the dreams. Um, but they were special, special temples. I, um, I, I... I bet I'm not the only person to make this connection. Um, I'm not sure if you know about Oregon's relatively recent uh, supervised psilocybin law. Oregon voters a couple years ago um, were the first state in the nation where, and it's happening now, you can go um, legally and first you have a, I won't go through the, everything about yeah, the law, but yeah. basically you can have the supervised legal use of psilocybin and it's not technically for therapy, but that is essentially how people are yeah. using it. It, it, made me, it made me think that it's, it sounds very similar to what you were describing with ancient Greeks and dreaming. And it, and it just made me wonder, and the, the, the obvious connection here is that like dreams, psychedelics unlock some less conscious part of the brain and, and give you sort of narratives in, inside your own head that are different than what you'd have 
if you were, hadn't taken them or weren't sleeping. Uh, do, do, are you at all interested in psychedelics in this context? Oh, very much so. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, when I was, I wrote about it a little bit in the book when I was... When you were 16. When I was 16, 17, 18, I did, you know, take LSD a few times, and it was very interesting. Very, very interesting. And, I, and uh, you know, I think that dreaming and that state of consciousness, they're not too far apart. Um, I mean, one of my most vivid memories was of not knowing whether I was dreaming or whether I was awake. And that's a very unusual uh, feeling. I mean, especially being awake, because when I'm awake, I'm pretty sure I'm awake. Uh, sometimes when I'm dreaming, I've gotten confused, you know, especially with like lucid dreaming. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I wrote up a couple of those sort of dreams. But, um, you know, lucid dreaming, when you are aware that you're dreaming in a dream, but then sometimes, like, I'll be aware I was dreaming, and then I'm still dreaming, but I think I woke up. So there's, you know, there's more confusion in that state. But, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something I'm interested in, yeah. Can you imagine the, the Roz Chast book of magic mushrooms? <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love those noises. Um, the, the lucid dream reminds me of something you say in passing, that, that online there are people who will tell you how to optimize your dreams, which you say is a stupid idea. So um, what are they offering, and what's stupid about it? Oh, I don't even... I guess... It, <laughs> like make your dreams even better. I think part of the thing that's uh, interesting about dreams is kind of letting them take you where they're going to take you. Mm. And I don't know, sometimes it just seems so tiring to make every, you know, malarkey-ish minute of the day, uh, like optimize every minute Every second should be like, what can you squeeze out of it? How can you be a better you in like, why this cardboard isn't good enough for me? It should be, you know, it's just, oh God, it gets so tiring, you know? Um, so dreams are like one of these times where you can just kind of go, well, let's see where we go tonight, you know? Um, as, a, as someone who asks questions for a living, I, I, I'm sort of allergic to questions that I feel like I ask all the time. And, and one of the most common ones for creative people is where do you get your ideas from? But this book, it, it makes that question, it sort of casts it in a new light, in, in a really interesting light, because you write so much about um, the sometimes mysterious connections between creativity and dreaming, and sometimes the, the more obvious ones. I mean, if you get an idea that that might turn into a cartoon um, directly from a dream, that's not, a, it's not exactly a mystery. It's just you may not know where the idea came from, but it, it, it got you in a dream. But I'm, I'm wondering what working on this book has shown you about your waking creativity. Um, well, I, uh, the quote from uh, Murakami um, that I included where he said that for him writing is a little bit like dreaming. Um, he had, in that quote, he put into words something that I feel that I do when I'm thinking of cartoon ideas. Because um, what I do for work is a very strange thing. It's like I go up to my desk and um, I'm faced with uh, what Bill Woodman, a wonderful New Yorker cartoonist from decades ago, he called the blank piece of paper the blazing island of white. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what you're sort of faced with. I mean, I do have my uh, ideas that I've gotten during the week written down on a piece of paper, but most of what I do is I'm sitting and I'm thinking and I'm doodling and I'm letting, you know, all of these thoughts kind of flow through my head, and um, so it, it's, it's a very strange kind of process. Uh, 
so I don't know, I guess I felt like sort of validated in some ways by the Murakami quote, because I thought, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. I'm, I'm sitting and I'm thinking and letting my thoughts kind of go, you know, where they will. I mean, the worst, the worst is, you know, just sort of think, I am going to think up the funniest idea anybody has ever had. I mean, that, it doesn't work like that. It's like, that's like a recipe for disaster for me. But sometimes when I'm sort of thinking um, and just letting, you know, something funny will happen. It's, uh, you know, um, I don't know, some odd juxtaposition of words or I'll suddenly remember something or, you know, the way the pillows looked on the bed and the way they kind of came to a point, you know, with the one tiny pillow and, you know, stuff like that. Has, so. has that changed for you over the years? You've been doing this for, for a number of decades now. Yes. Is, is, it, is it easier to face that, what, what was it, the... The, the, the blazing the, island of white? The, uh, yeah. Now, because you know that over and over in the past... The, the, your brain ha has done something, an idea has come, is, is that something you can trust now or is it, is it as terrifying as it sounds? No, it's horrible. It's uh, over and over and over. Over and over, yes. It's, in some ways it's worse because, uh, you know, now I, I'm, you know, you don't want, I'm more aware of like all the stuff, you know, my cartoons, like I don't want to do that, I did that already and like so-and-so did this and, you know, and you get, you get more critical and uh, it, it's it's it gets it gets worse, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's really and you also become more aware of sort of the I don't know not that it's pointless but maybe a little bit <laughs> I don't know just it it it's uh, I you know when somebody um, asks me sometimes like you know my kid wants to be a cartoonist and you know, what advice, and I always say, if they can do anything else, then they should do that thing. <laughs> you know, this is really for people who feel kind of compelled to do this. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and you've been compelled to do this for, uh, since you were a teenager, right? Yeah, yeah, well I drew from the time I was little, like before I could write, um, and I never ever thought about not drawing, I just always drew. Um, and, but when I was around 13, I think, 12 or 13, I started thinking about being a cartoonist. Hmm. Um, to go back to the, the cushions, the, the, the pillows, is that, ha have you made a cartoon about, about those before? No. So when you have a, a fun idea, which yeah. maybe doesn't just please me as somebody who, who has thought a lot about the, the diminishing zone yeah. of pillows, but probably other people have experienced that. So but it, how, how would you test out whether that's a fertile enough idea to, to be a panel or a, you know, more than one? Um, I'll, I have a, I'll doodle it. I'll draw it either on paper, I have an iPad. In fact, I'll probably draw it, uh, I'll draw it out. And the one, the one thing about the New Yorker, the system that they have that's so great, is that uh, you don't just submit one cartoon a week. I mean, that would be sort of sickening in a way, because uh, you'd feel like it would have to be like, you know, really uh, good, and then that immediately kills any spontaneity, you know? Um, you submit a group of cartoons every week. So some people it's four, some people it's six, some people it's 10. Um, I usually submit six or seven, and, um, that will be, probably will go into the, the batch, uh, maybe next time I submit. Pillows. The pillows, yeah, huh. yeah. So, fact. but when you, when you draw it out, I mean, it's, you, you don't just do visual jokes. I mean, your words sometimes, are... Sometimes they're visual. Like, this could be a visual one. With a, with a title. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Um, so, I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm wondering how, how you decide something's good enough for yourself. Um, if it makes me laugh or it seems funny, you can you know? laugh at your own work occasionally. But I might not laugh out, you know, out loud. Sometimes I do. Sometimes something will make me laugh out loud. Oh, that sounds uh, fantastic to be able uh, to to laugh at. I mean, to, yeah. you're making work that makes the rest of us laugh, and mm -hmm. it makes me happy to think that sometimes you can actually laugh as well. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes, but sometimes it's just like. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know. <laughs> but that yeah. that means it'll work. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's that's a good. Yeah. That's a good. Yeah. Uh, could we? What if? What if it doesn't work? Uh, then it's uh, if it's really bad, it goes into the trash. If it's sort of semi bad, I have a sort of like pile of like uh, I might you know rework this later kind of thing. So there's just like a whole like levels of badness basically. Um. <laughs> One of your um, dream fragments, you call them the, the ones that got away, yeah. is this. A cult of fat men in France who dress like Liberace but sound like Johnny Cash. Yes, yeah, and that—that that was yeah. There's a, there's a couple of pages in the book of just I'll just remember like one little bit of a dream, but that was a good one. <laughs> but I'm I'm trying to figure out is that is that cartoonable or is it just hilarious but can't be turned into uh, two dimensions in a way that works for you. Well, it was fine to include in that spread. Right. I, I guess I'm thinking about it by itself in The New Yorker. No, I don't think, I mean, no, I don't think so. Why not? I don't know. I don't know. It's just like, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, you have a chapter about nightmares. Um, yes. The, the, to me, the most powerful and poignant cartoon in the whole book is somebody, in, in that chapter, somebody hands you a phone um, and it's your mother, who's been dead for a number of years. She's on the other end, weeping and wailing. And, yeah. and then and you, you, you actually, you woke up. Um, yeah. I mean, a, a true, it's not a, a scary nightmare, it's just tremendously sad and sort of traumatizing. How often do, do you dream about your parents these days? Um, they do come up. I mean, not, definitely not every night. Uh, maybe every couple of weeks, you know. In, in that tone or in different ways? In different ways, in different ways. Um, but they're almost always old. Hmm. Um, and I'm almost always an adult. So the dream versions are closer to, to their final years than, say, you as a child and, yeah. and them in their 30s or 40s. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Huh. I can't even think of a dream I've had of them where I'm a child and they're younger. Hmm. Another cartoon in that nightmare chapter seems like it was scary in the moment, but is just absurd and, and quite funny now. It's, it's the Pringle. The Pringle. Can you describe the Pringle? This was like one of those dreams where you think, what? What is going on in my subconscious? Um, so I had this dream about this horrible creature uh, that looked a little bit like this like kind of horrible weasel mixed with a naked mole rat. And it was like this stretched out creature. I drew it immediately when I woke up. And it was called a Pringle, like the chip. <laughs> And, and the thing, and, and I woke up from it, and my husband said that I was windmilling my arms around, and that he said, you were moving your arms around like a marionette, and I don't even know what that means, you know? But I woke him up, I guess I was like, and I was running away from the Pringle. And the thing is about the Pringle that I learned in the dream is that it's a very bad omen. And if you see a Pringle in your house, you have to leave the house and you can never come back. <laughs> so, and it was really scary. It was terrifying in the dream. And then I woke up and it was like, this is, this is ridiculous. This is like hilarious. So. In the, and you actually, I think that's the only page in the book where we see one of your dream journal jottings, in addition to the, yes, the fully realized cartoon. And you, one of my favorite things about it is you actually include a little thing for scale. You wrote two feet long. Um, yes. So we see the, the Pringle yes. is not, it's not, you know, it's no, not it, six it, inches. Yeah, it's it a, it's a horrible, full like, size Pringle. It's a stretched out body with this like little naked mole rat head. And, and. Do, you, <laughs> do you have work anxiety dreams? Oh, yes. Oh, I, lots. What, lots. So, um, What's, what is work anxiety for uh, a cartoonist? Oh, just uh, going, you know, going into the New Yorker and I've like forgotten to bring my work in and, you know, kind of, they're a little bit like related to the high school 
anxiety sorts of dreams. Um, Being unprepared somehow. Unprepared, yeah. yeah. I have those regularly where I'm all of a sudden here and I don't know who I'm talking to or, or who they are or what I should ask. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could imagine that. I think that probably everybody... Uh, I. In, in my reading about dreams, I think Aristotle said that people do dream what they're in their, like, professions, like... You uh, wrote, podiatrists must dream of bunions. Of bunions, yeah. Uh, they, maybe they have, like, bunion anxiety dreams <laughs> or something. It's, or they're, like... Uh, so, yeah, I think we... Um, you mentioned the, the pillow dream, which I, I promise is the last time I'll bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> have other recent dreams tickled you? I mean, other recent dreams that if you'd had them before you wrote the book, you might have put them in? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I can't remember any right now, but I, I think it's like an ongoing thing. You know, um, I was talking to a fellow cartoonist um, uh, person who makes books and that there must be some like one of those long German compound words for like the regret that you have once you can't add anything into the book or change mm. anything. Um, so there's definitely that. I know that there is this word that I love, which is Torschlossen panic, which is door, door shutting panic. And uh, like when, when something closes, the door shuts and now you can't make any changes. And it's like, that's when you think of all the changes that you want to make. Huh. So, yeah. If you could change something about dreams, have the power to, to change the way you dream or, or how you dream, would you? Or is that in the realm of, of optimization that you resist? I think that's the optimization. I kind of like the fact that uh, I don't control them, that um, it's kind of like giving myself over to something else and kind of going with it. Hmm. What about, because I was thinking about this as I read the book, what if you could meet people in dreams and say, hey, let's go, at 11 p.m. tonight, let's go fly around together, or oh. let's go do yeah. tuna salad sandwich tasting. Oh, you mean in a dream? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that, uh, one of my kids and I, we used to try to do that. Uh, let's, you know, because uh, she was also interested in, in dreams the way I was, and we would try to meet on the astral plane, but it never, never worked. <laughs> uh, Why do you think that talking about dreams gets such a bad rap? I mean, it's, it's, Famous people say, yeah. it, dreams are boring. Uh, obviously, but we know they're not. I, I'm, well, why do you think we're told not to talk about them? Um, I really don't know because I find that a lot of things that people talk about to me is very boring. Like golf is very boring, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like painfully boring. Um, but people like to talk about it. Are you often subjected to golf talk? Uh, I'm not into golf talk, no. No, but you're, you're oh. around it. Oh, sometimes, mm. yes. Or people talk about their yards or something. <laughs> or gardening. Like, I don't care. I don't care about any of that. Um, they talk, oh, oh, their seem... exercise. I don't, ugh. You know, like, I there's so much that people talk about that I find extremely dull. So, so um, why, are, why are dreams singled out? I don't know. I honestly don't know, because I think that they're very interesting. I think um, maybe, uh, well, um, uh, Heraclitus, um, a Greek philosopher, 500 BC, he said that in dreams we all turn, you know, in this world we are all in the same world, but in dreams we all turn to a world of our own. So maybe it seems to some people too egocentric or too selfish, uh, too personal. Um, but to me, I feel like since this is an activity that we all do, uh, and that it's not so bad to talk about it, as long as, I mean, I'm not a big fan of when people monologue about anything. It could be like the most interesting topic in the universe, but if somebody is just going on and on and on and on and on, you know, then it's boring. Um, so I don't know. Has writing this book and going on this book tour, has it opened the floodgates for people to talk to you about their dreams? Um, no, 
know. I wouldn't call it flood. People talk a little bit about it, but most people, I think, you know, are uh, sensibly understanding to not, like, you know, stand for, like, half an hour, like, and then, and then, and then, and then. Especially if they've heard you say you don't want a monologue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, (laughs) no. (laughs) Ross Chastity, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. That was the one and only Roz Chast in front of an audience at the 2023 Portland Book Festival. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on NPR's app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great day. Think Out Loud is supported by Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Michael, Kristen, Andrew Kern, and Anna Sanford. 